Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everybody's journey with osteoarthritis is unique. I do think that it's incredibly important that you hear about the journey of others. We're really privileged today to hear from someone who I've had the good fortune to look after and hear about their experience, both living with this disease, but also the success that they've had in now managing us. This is a really special episode where we have the opportunity to share with you some insights about a really personal lived experience. And so we've got the privilege of hearing from Julie about her journey with osteoarthritis. I do this primarily to help to motivate you and stimulate you and hopefully inspire you to learn from others who are walking a similar path and the opportunity that you may have to learn from them. Hello, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. Or I should say welcome back to the show. <laughs> But it's great, it's great to have you back and really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy life to come and talk to us as well. Now, before we get in and really talk about your recent journey, can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background in a typical day? Yeah, so I'm a professor of public health at the University of Sydney, and I am a social scientist and I focus on vaccination. So I basically look at what people think, feel and do about vaccination and then look more broadly at systems and policies as well and have a real interest in communicating risk as well. Uh, so I do research and teaching and supervision and a lot of admin that comes with these jobs at this level and uh, love my job. I feel very privileged to have it. Yeah, we are very lucky, aren't we? I mean, the the variety that comes across, I think, everybody's desk every day keeps us engaged and interested. And obviously, we've had the previous conversation on the podcast, which was very much around what we could learn from your experiences with vaccination, which was obviously incredibly topical for the last few years, but about human behavior and changing human behavior, which will be very germane to what we're talking about today as well. Indeed, yeah. Now, Julia, I know you've got a lot of outside interests, but when you're not at work, what do you like doing? So when I'm not at work, I like to spend time with my family. So my husband and my two kids who are now nearly 21 and 19 years of age and 
they're just a joy to have around. So I tend to do a bit of, you know, playing guitar and singing, which are some of my favourite things. And I do a lot of folding of washing, <laughs> the usual sort of drudgery that is everyday life, spending time with family. We, we go to church every Sunday. We have a great, you know, community there in a quite a progressive church in Sydney. And um, I, lo- I love shopping. I love clothes. And I love sh- clothes shopping. So that and a little bit of travel. So I'm looking forward to heading to Bangkok for work on Sunday. Yeah, it sounds like a, a wonderfully full and enjoyable life. And I think like many of us, and I'm not sure whether you've experienced this, but in recent months, it feels like people are overcompensating for the lack of travel that's happened through that whole COVID period. And so I've been, I don't know how many times I've been in a plane in the last couple of months, but it's far too many. My carbon load for the community has not been, not been good, but hopefully I'll slow down again relatively soon. Now, Julie, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Oh, I'd have to say I can be quite tenacious. So when when I've decided I'm going to do something, I will make it happen. Recent example is a, a colleague who is a Sudanese postdoctoral researcher, found himself stranded, unable to get back to the country because of the conflict there. So I've organised to get him a visiting fellowship here at the University of Sydney so that he can continue his work. And, you know, that took a bit of tenacity to get that all organised relatively quickly. So that's a kind of a practical example, I guess. I'm quite enthusiastic, empathic, and I think I like a bit of fun. Like I was the youngest in the family, so I had three older brothers and then there were seven years and there was me. So that kind of shapes your identity as being the, you know, the youngest, the cheekiest, the most provocative. And so I I think I still have that part in me of the person who likes to have a bit of fun. And I'm, I can also be a bit scatty and forgetful as well, which gets worse as you get older. <laughs> I, I think that's part of having a professorial position, isn't it? Aren't you meant yeah. to be forgetful? Yeah, well, maybe, but I shouldn't use it as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, we may come back to the tenacity, but I'm sure it's probably played a role in some of what's happened to you with your health in the recent past in terms of applying yourself. Yeah, which I guess brings us to the topic of today. And, you know, Julie, I guess in the first instance, thank you so much for being willing to share your story because I think you're sharing this. Hopefully it will be both informative, but I'm also hoping that it'll be inspiring for many other people who are out there who are going through similar experiences and potentially facing similar challenges. And I think hearing about your story, I'm hoping will be both relevant to them and something that they can they can learn a lot from. Before I preface all of that conversation too much, can you just tell me a little bit about, I guess, your your background health story? And again, thank you so much for being willing to share that. But what were you feeling? How is that limiting what you were doing? And how long had that been going on for? Yeah, so it's probably no surprise to listeners that I am an, a sufferer or a, a person who has osteoarthritis of the knees, in my case. 
And I probably had it for 30 years because I remember in my early adulthood, actually, I think I got x-rays and, you know, I had knee problems then. And it might have come about because I spent most of my adolescence on roller skates and jumping and and I was very good at it, actually, but <laughs> it was probably a bit hard on the knees. And of course, genetics, as your podcast has pointed out in the past, and and maybe the way, you know, the body's morphology as well, right? So is that right, David, that they're the kinds of things that... Can all, can all play a role. Yeah, yeah, those factors. So for some years now, it's been getting worse. And that means that walking up and down stairs is always painful to varying degrees. And we know that osteoarthritis, you know, does vary in, in our experiences of it um, from day to day, even sometimes for no apparent reason. But there are other little things like, you know, suddenly just moving, turning direction in the kitchen and suddenly your knee just explodes in pain and you almost fall over. And there are weird things like that that happen that, you know, my family will hear me go, yell out and they'll look around and I'll just say, no, it's okay. It's just, it's just my knee (laughs) trying to sort of not get too dramatic about it. But the other things were, you know, it did, it did limit my movement and still does. I can't squat. It's very hard to kneel, weed the garden, for example. And I couldn't hike anymore with packs full of gear for four or five days of walking in the snowies, which is what we used to love doing. So it's really had quite an impact on not just my life, but the family's life as well in terms of the limitations on movement. And, you know, an example is when I, when I walk down steps at a railway station, my son will just automatically come up and offer his arm to me. So I have that help going down the stairs because it's a little bit unstable feeling going downstairs as well. I don't know why, but I, you know, maybe I've become rail dependent. So that that is part of that experience as well. So I think I went to see you as my doctor about five or six years ago, maybe more. And well, no, actually it was probably six or seven years ago with this issue. And you were very good about describing the sorts of things that can reduce symptoms of osteoarthritis, looking to the literature, because that was so important to me to know what the evidence says, because I'm not going to waste time on stuff that doesn't actually work. And I heard that people who lose 10% of their body weight can have, I think it's up to 50% of reduction in pain. You're nodding, so that's good. So I knew that that was something I needed to do because I was above a normal weight for my height. So I'm, you know, I'm only five foot two, maybe less now and 158 centimetres. So I'm quite short. And by the time I saw you late last year, I had had two or three years of doing the pandemic in my work. So working very long hours, barely exercising, being in severe lockdown in the suburb that we live in in Sydney where we had extra lockdowns, only an hour of exercise a day. I was probably doing 100 steps a day. And then by 2022, I was doing 10,000 steps a day in my commute to work. So I had this dramatic change in walking, but no change in my weight, which was 88 kilos and a BMI of 33, I think. So I was quite troubled by that. I didn't feel 
well. I also had breathlessness going upstairs. I had sort of a a sense of hopelessness about wanting to lose weight. I'd tried a year before with an app called Noom, which is really good, but it hadn't worked for me. And I really, really wanted to lose weight. For me, that was a key to getting healthier, but I just didn't quite know how to do that. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, it's obviously having a huge impact on your life and by the sound of things, your family's life as well. And, you know, the the quality of your lived experience sounded uh, less than optimal. Now, you'd lived that for a few years and it obviously got worse through the whole COVID period. What was it particularly that triggered you to do something now? What was the motivation Ironically, David, it wasn't actually the knees that was the trigger. It was nine months of plantar fasciitis, which is pain in the plantar fascia, so that, you know, the heel for me of both feet. And it was quite painful. It really did affect my quality of life. And I was very, very sick of getting that pain. It was obviously I'd done a hundred steps a day and then 10,000. So that wasn't helping. And I knew that there was a relationship between a higher body weight and experience of plantar fasciitis, not always, but probably that was not helping me. And I also, because I was breathless, I thought I'd better just see the doctor about that. And he put me on blood tests and it turned out that I had anemia And I had slightly elevated blood sugars and slightly elevated cholesterol and slightly elevated blood pressure. So I was basically in metabolic syndrome. And I went, I saw you right on the second of, I think the first of December last year, 2022. And you said that I may, you know, I probably should consider uh, blood medications to reduce the blood pressure and I just remember my eyes widening over the mask going no way that's not how I self-identify I'm not I'm not old enough yet to be a blood pressure medicine person you know it just sort of it did something to my identity (laughs) it threatened my identity you know I know younger people have to have blood pressure medications but for me it was just a horrible sort of signal (laughs) And, and so I, I just then at that moment had it all fall into place. You know, you hear about people who quit smoking saying, I just decided to quit. Well, for me, it was, I just decided to quit the practices that were keeping me heavier than I needed to be. So I guess I call it a kind of planetary alignment of motivation and I made a decision to make some pretty big changes. So what did you actually do, Julie? Well, David, I lost 13 kilos Wonderful. in four and a half months. Yeah. And I lost the first 11 of those kilos in the first three months. So I was 88 kilos, 158 centimetres, and now I'm 75 kilos. Superb, superb. So yeah. that that has been uh, just an absolute unmitigated joy to be able to finally achieve that goal. Now, I'm very aware that there are people who are a heavier weight than normal 
and are comfortable with that. And I'm also aware, having felt this myself, that obesity comes with a lot of stigmatization. And, you know, I noticed that you're really careful in the language you use about being a heavier weight than normal and so forth, because you probably know that all too well as well, that in fact, obesity can be counter to strategies to actually address it because people feel shame and stigma and that can be reinforced in some situations in healthcare. So, you know, and I'm also aware that for some dieting can lead to un- unhealthy behaviours around overly restricting their eating and, and that kind of thing. So I want to, when I'm talking about a lot of weight loss, I want to sort of put the, that context around it that for me, yes, I was sort of self-stigmatizing because I was very heavy, but I was also aware that there are some people who go on a weight loss journey and just keep going and actually become very unhealthy through that. So yeah. I think that's important to point out. No, I think but- that's, that's a really important topic. And I think it's something that obviously is pervasive out there in the community. And I, you know, I, for one, I do try to be sensitive to the concerns around stigma and I by by no means am I perfect and I recognize that I'm imperfect in many ways that I describe a person's body weight but I think that there's also a nexus here that I think is really important we we talk about is that I think a lot of the time health professionals potentially because of the fear about using language that's inappropriate because of the stigma they don't talk about it and that's, to me, as much of a problem as the counter to that. Because if it is definitely contributing to the health concerns that a person has and you don't talk about it, that's you know something that I think is really remiss in terms of what we do. So you know, I think we've got to call it when we see it, but obviously be sensitive in the language that we use around describing that problem and, and recognize the challenges that people have in, yeah. in, dealing, in dealing with it. I so agree with you because w- w- there's an absolute parallel with immunization where we've listened to conversations between clinicians and very hesitant parents. And they're usually in a clinic where the child has had an adverse event after the vaccine, they're worried, scared. And sometimes the clinicians can be overly cautious about actually saying, I'd really love to see you vaccinated. I don't think the, the adverse event's going to happen again. You know, and they they they're too reticent. They they kind of they use that following communication practice rather than a guiding communication practice, and that's what you know behavior change counselling, like motivational interviewing, brings in. It's a guiding style. It's not saying you have to do this. It's saying I'd love to see you lose some weight because I think being above a normal weight or a little bit heavier is is exacerbating your pain. Would you be willing to consider? You know, and that is very responsible, reasonable practice for clinicians and should happen. Like I I don't think I had any people directly say to me, you should lose weight. And I think I probably would have been receptive to that. But I did know from you that my chances of reducing my pain if I lost weight were going to be higher. And also when I lost the weight, you said to me, and how is your pain? So it wasn't like the weight was the end goal. It was like the pain is the end goal here, yeah. which shows care. Yeah. So what ended up happening to your symptoms with the with the weight loss, Julie? So I I have my sugars and 
cholesterol have gone back to normal range. My blood pressure has reduced. I've also, so I did a whole lot of things to lose the weight. So I went on this diet where you reduce your intake of calories to between 800 and 1,000 a day. You reduce your carbs markedly to 50 grams a day. You increase your protein to 50 grams a day. So you're filling up on protein. And the idea is it's called the fast keto diet. It comes from the British doctor, Michael Mosley. The idea with this particular diet, which happened to work for me, is that you keep yourself in mild ketosis, which is this fat burning status where you are less likely to get big hunger pangs because you're not sort of having a lot of carbs, which give you that spike in blood sugars and then a dip. So that worked very well for me. And it actually wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I was having a glass of wine each night to wind down. I stopped that because that was getting me to then eat more. (laughs) Um, So that, that was very helpful. And I did this workout app with it's the Johnson and Johnson smart workout and it's just 12 minutes a day because you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and when I began doing that on the 2nd of December 2022 I found it very difficult to do because I had almost no fitness and I had to be really gentle and scale down the exercises but now I can do it all you know it's push-ups, it's wall sits even, you know, I can do the wall sit now, which I'm very proud of. Squats, um, my knees still crunch with the squats, but that's okay. I, you know, I listen to your podcast a lot. So I got to learn a lot more about my condition. I learned that you can exercise with a little bit of pain and you need to know your own limits and take care of yourself that even weight-bearing exercises, and now I'm up to star jumps, is okay if your arthritis is going to tolerate that. A little bit of pain is okay. A few star jumps for me is okay. (laughs) So there are a bunch of exercises in this app that I still do every day that are just so much easier for me. And that's a sense of achievement. And after I've done that exercise, I feel quite energetic and I've still got the music going. So I'm dancing around the kitchen and my husband's laughing at me and I used for the diet I used shakes occasionally but not too much and I used some psychological strategies that I'd learned from from this Noom app that I'd tried earlier where you notice catastrophic thinking if you've just for example been served something with a side of chips and you didn't want the chips but they've turned up and you, you know, oh, damn it, I'm going to have the chips. You try not to think, right, this is my downfall. I can't do this. I'm a failure. You notice that critical thinking and you arrest it and say, no, it's okay. I've had a few chips today, but I can start again tomorrow. So you diagnose and you treat catastrophizing. And that's really important for people who have tried to lose weight and haven't done it successfully. So all of that means that now I'm in a much better place physically. I can get up and walk around easily. I'm lighter. There are so many benefits to losing weight that I didn't even anticipate through the tiny things like 
being able to easily tie up my shoelaces and having more lace to tie up because I've even lost weight in my feet, you know? So it's these tiny little things every single day that are such a joy to experience through being able to do this. So it's a wonderful story. And again, thank you so much for sharing it. Has it made a difference to your family, to your commute, to your ability to, to sort of undertake activities that you weren't doing before? So we're yet to test out the hiking in the snowies, but I now realise that there's nothing stopping us from trying that again. I mean, for, for the difference in my my heart, because my husband, who was extremely supportive, by the way, and that social support is crucial, because he was also influenced by my diet, so he's eating fewer carbs as well. He's a bit fitter as well, which is great. You you so need that environment where people are going to support you. It's It's absolutely crucial. There is a big difference for me now in... Just like I don't have to grab the railing every time at the station steps. I can walk down the middle and I can even trot down the stairs. I still have pain, right? The osteoarthritis pain hasn't gone away completely. It is reduced. I don't have any more plantar fasciitis pain and that's a joy <laughs> because it was terrible. I think that the everyday sense of just being able to walk quickly, being able to get up out of a chair more easily, prance down the hall to grab a cup of tea, all of those things are just little ways in which I am relishing the fitness, the fitness and and being less heavy. And, you know, my body is very grateful for it. Now, this is obviously a little bit more personal and you don't necessarily need to answer this if you don't want to, but have have you noticed a difference in your mood and or have others commented? Because at least I know when I saw you uh, recently, you had a very different disposition on your face. Yeah, well, you know, I like talking about my weight loss. It's one of my, everyone says, it's one of my favourite topics at the moment. <laughs> I'll get over it. It's a bit of a, a thing now. But it, has my mood changed? I actually felt pretty mentally healthy, David, when we last spoke. But because I was feeling sick, right, I was anemic. The anemia I treated, that was another issue. But, you know, because I was anemic, I had metabolic syndrome, I was puffed out just walking. I think because I felt sick, uh, my body wasn't great, but my mind was good and my mental health is pretty good at the moment. So I felt okay, but I feel even better now that I've lost all this weight and pretty cheery about things and feeling pretty fortunate. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it's it's a great story. Any special insights that you think would be helpful to share about, I guess, ways that you've been able to maintain the change in behavior, simple tips that you've used for motivation? I know you mentioned a couple of them a moment ago about sort of catastrophization, but any any other insights that you think would be valuable to share? I do. I have a few insights. So <laughs> losing weight, I guess maybe, and the people who specialize in this will be able to talk about it much more with an evidence base. But if you try a few times to lose weight and it doesn't work, keep trying because it, it might eventually work. And 
you've got to find a way to do that, that you are confident is going to be sustainable. Because here's the thing, the evidence suggests that people who lose a lot of weight can put it on and then some. So I was grappling with the evidence, which was, meh, if you lose weight, you're just going to put it on again. And eventually I was like, right, so let's say I've got another 30 or 40 years of life. If I have two years of being less weight, that's a percentage of the rest of my life that I'm less heavy. I'm going to take that. So even if I put on weight again in the future, which is possible, I am going to still have positive self-regard, right? So that's toxic to have your self-esteem wrapped up in your weight. So I still have positive self-regard. I'll still accept myself and I'll still know that I can keep, you know, keep trying the practices, which are for me, avoiding starchy carbohydrate foods. So I try to reduce my eating of bread and pasta and rice. I really, I reduce that right down now, fill up on sort of very low calorie foods like cherry tomatoes and, you know, things like that. So yeah, it is, it is possible to sustain weight loss and people need to find a way of losing weight. Like you can lose weight quickly with more artificial means like shakes and that kind of thing. And it's good to lose weight quickly because then you don't drag out the agony of it. But once you're there, you have to find something that will kind of keep you there. And for me, it was reducing and avoiding carbs and and keeping on being disciplined every day of the week, not just two days of the week, but everyone will find a different way. So I guess I'm also aware that there are social determinants of health here and that I have privilege and financial means to order the salmon salad, for example, at the cafe instead of the, you know, the toasty with chips. And so I'm acutely aware that the resources that I have access to as a relatively privileged person are not going to be the resources that other people have access to all the time. So I just, I think that makes me want to see even more that we create less obesogenic environments that, you know, and in fact, I've seen we have hugely carbogenic environments, you know, we have carbs everywhere. You go to the shop down the road at the uni and it's all carbohydrates and a few salads, which is great, but you know, it's, it is not easy for people to do this and sustain it. But uh, if you can find a way that works for you, give it a go and lose it quickly because the prolonged agony of trying to lose weight over a long time is just, it's too easy to go backwards. One thing, David, I, I didn't say about the fast 800 keto diet is that it takes a couple of days to get yourself in the mild ketosis And if you eat too many carbs, you'll take yourself out of it and you'll have three more days of trying to get back into it again and feeling hangry and raw inside and everything. So I ended up um, using keto sticks, so dip sticks in the urine to see if you're still in mild ketosis. And seeing that was that biological feedback, which was very motivating to stay there and not to break at all. And that helps too. Fantastic. And, you know, I think that's 
I think hopefully very relatable for for many people, both the experience of, I guess, the, the torture that many people go through when they're going through that rapid weight loss in the first instance. And it's, you know, it takes a lot of human control and behavioral change to, to make sure that that can happen. But I think some of some of what you've said there about the sustainability of that change is so, so important. And hopefully something that people can learn a lot from because, again, a lot of what we recommend that people do isn't necessarily something that they can sustain longer term. And it sounds, and again, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you've done, you can sustain uh, over the longer period yeah. of time. Do you think that the benefits that you've attained will assist in motivating you to maintain that change? Yes, because all the the joys of going through your old clothes and feeling like you're going back in time over years where you're able to fit into clothes you haven't fit into for many years, all of those little benefits, the joy of walking down a street, feeling lighter, of having less knee pain, are, are so good to feel that they are motivating me to stay there. So I think I will, because the diet is kind of reverting to how I ate as a teenager when I was a lot lighter, you know, I just had meat, I had meat and salad <laughs> most of the time. Uh, we didn't have as many carbs then back in the 70s and 80s as we do now. So I think although because I'm sort of reverting back to very old practices for me as a kid and because I'm enjoying the benefits of the weight loss, I'll be able to stay here. And if I don't, if I put on a bit of weight, I know what to do to get back here, which is to do all the things that I've described. For me, they worked. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident that I won't, I certainly won't go back to 88 kilos because that was unusual for me. And that was a result of the pandemic, like the pandemic and my job where you sit for long hours, it was killing me. <laughs> uh, and, and cause I was so busy during that time and, and not able to actually get out and commute and do all that incidental exercise. So normal life is going to be a little more supportive for maintaining weight loss and physical activity. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reasonably confident, yeah. but you can never be overconfident. No, 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 for sure. For sure. And, but, you know, obviously congratulations on the success that you've had and whatever we can do to help you to sustain that more than happy to assist in that regard as well. Now you mentioned a moment ago about the sort of the environment we live in, particularly that that promotes people gaining weight. Are there any other sort of barriers or facilitators that you want to highlight that you may not necessarily have already done so? Yeah, I I think that for some people I, I look at that Michael Mosley fast 800 keto diet that I went on and think that that sort of prescribes the the meals that you have every day and they're very low carbohydrate meals and it assumes that there's somebody who's able to afford those foods to cook cook the lunches that are on on the menu plans so it assumes a level of privilege but it also comes i think from a very kind of white Anglo cultural way of eating. I know that he talks about the Mediterranean diet. So I know that there are other cultures that are influencing that diet, but 
for example, if you're in a culture where rice is just such a basic part of what you eat or pasta or other kinds of carbohydrates, it may be a lot harder to socially sustain those practices where you're saying, no, I won't have rice because people, you know, family might look at you strangely or, you know, you might have a lot of social gatherings where it's just culturally a bit more difficult to say, no, I won't eat that. And and you don't want to seem picky and rude. So I feel, I feel very aware that the kinds of things that might work in one particular culture might need to be adapted in other cultures. And I, I actually would love to challenge Michael Mosley on that question because I think there's a lot of assumed, a, a lot of assumption, cultural and class assumptions that are in that diet that was really successful for me but it may not be for everybody. Yeah, no, I, th- I think a lot of what we do is obviously tailored towards certain segments of the community. And those people that have, that come from different cultures or ethnicities that may have different practices. And they're, you know, I think particularly people who have different levels of health literacy potentially to what you have as well there, Julie, uh, may have different, different levels of appreciation and understanding of that knowledge as well. Now, Julie, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to share in closing? Look, I because I listen to this podcast, I know that a lot of people say this, so I'm going to say it too because it's quite meaningful and I learned something from it, which is don't be too afraid to move, even if there's a bit of pain there. There's going to be pain with osteoarthritis. You don't want to make it unbearable or unsafe for your body, but it's okay to move And in fact, for me, it was like, it ended up being okay to do star jumps. So I don't know if that's, I'm trying to look at your face, David, to see what It's all good. If you you feel okay doing it and you wind up okay afterwards, it's all good. It's all good. And and so it's, it's very interesting to hear about the research on what causes pain from osteoarthritis of the knees and what can reduce it. And isn't it also interesting that, the fact that weight loss can reduce perception of pain suggests something about the mechanism of pain as well that, you know, I know that scientists are yet to fully unpack how, how and why pain is experienced, but you do, I think, when one of the podcasts indicated that the pain receptors change and so you can actually perceive more pain and so some of that pain management is psychological activity of the way you think about pain, the way you think about your condition, your attitude towards it, and how you should not let it make you fear physical activity, which is going to help. Yeah, yeah. No, it's such, such an important point to close. I mean, I think so many people are fearful and avoidant of activity to their detriment. And, you know, I think hearing you say what you did and the experience you've been through and the confidence that you now have in your your body's ability to do what you want to be able to do is, is superb. And it's really, you know, a, a testament to the work that you've done. So kudos to you. And, you know, at least from my perspective, please sustain it and you'll reap, reap the benefits. Yeah. Julie, again, thank you so much for sharing that story it's so powerful so meaningful and i really do truly hope that the listeners gain a lot from hearing you tell it 
Well, thank you very much, David. It's been a privilege to come back and, and tell my story. Thank you so much. So again, as I said at the outset, everybody is different. And Julie's story may relate to you, it may not. But irrespective, I think some of, of the lessons that she's learned through both the lived experience and applying herself to some really important changes in behavior have led to really tangible, meaningful benefits for her and her family and those around her. The lived experience that she now has is one that hopefully she can put to some extent in the rearview mirror, but at least remember what it was like and continue along that behavioral change path, which is really a journey and a challenge for the remainder of everybody's lives. Now, I don't pretend that any of this is easy and changing behavior is always hard. And there are many elements in our community that make it really hard for us to continue to sustain those changes. But I'm hoping that by hearing from Julie and other people similar to her about the really positive benefits that this can have long-term, that you can be inspired by that to hopefully live similar changes in your own lives. Thank you again so much for your support of the podcast and really looking forward to having a conversation with you in the not too distant future. But between now and then, please really look after yourselves. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.